Welcome to the Newtown Business Association's Business School Podcast. Our goal is to help you make the most of your business by providing you with information and advice from fellow NBA members. I'm your host, Rodney Warner. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Business Association Business School Podcast. This is our second episode on the topic of sales with Andy Rich from Sandler Training. In our prior episode, we kind of gave an intro. And the next couple episodes, we're going to hope to lay some wisdom on you and hopefully make you a better sales person. Thank you very much, Andy. Good morning, Rodney. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about sales. That's what I do. In our 20-ish minute lesson today, where are we going to start? Uh, you know what? How about we start with a story? Okay, please. Let's do that. We've all had different experiences over the pandemic here, and it's coming to a close, hopefully. But uh, back when it started, my two adult children, my girls, came back to live with us for about five months. And uh, since we just downsized to uh, you know retire in our house, uh, we didn't have a lot of room between the Zooming together, taking showers at the same time, eating at the same time, and uh, just living at the same time. It was really tough. So got through the uh, worst of it. And I, a couple months ago, February, I called a couple contractors and said, I need a, I need a 20 by 14 by 18 room pushed out of the back. I don't have enough room. So the first guy comes in, contractor comes in, takes a look, checks it out, measures it. I'll send you a quote on Tuesday. Second guy comes in, measures it, checks it out, sees a couple problems, but says, no, no sweat. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Third guy comes in and tells me about his experiences in the ball field across the street when he was a kid. And he said, I always enjoy, Andy, I've always enjoyed the architecture of these 19, or excuse me, 1890 to 1910 houses. The Victorians are beautiful. And you know, they got really great bones when we work on them. And I'm like, I'm obviously warming up to the guy because that's why the charm I saw in my own uh, neighborhood. He said, you know, now, what did, what would you like us to do here? I said, you know, the whole story about the pandemic and the 18 by 14 by 20 room. And, and uh, he goes, can I, can I ask you a couple of questions? I said, absolutely. He goes, uh, let me ask you this. When, when, uh, when you went to the holidays, where did you guys form your holidays when you were as a child? I said, well, I went to my mom's and dad's, of course. And how many siblings do you have? Well, I've got four. What's your point? What was it like? I said, yeah, it was good up, up till we all had grandchildren and it, it got to be a little bit tight. And you know what? I ended up having to stay in hotels and we couldn't wake up under the Christmas tree and uh, it, it got to be a mess. He goes, I see. You said you have two girls. Let's take a walk around the house. And he went and basically in a friendly way, got into my life and understood what my needs were. And, uh, he even capped it off at the end and, and, and said, uh, you know, my friend of mine had to put his, uh, his mom and actually his dad in, in a nursing home slash assisted living. His dad didn't want to live without his mom. And, and so they moved their home to assisted living. They wouldn't have had to do that unless she was non-ambulatory and they could have lived on the first floor. They didn't have any room to do it or to change it. So did you plan on living here after retirement? Well, I'm going to be there the whole way until they put me in the ground. So by asking a few questions, he put me in pain of not being able to have my grandchildren around me in the future, that future pain and the fear that I won't be able to 
you know, uh, get together with them. They won't come want to come to granddad's because it's the Motel 6. It's not granddad's. And and the pain of uh, leaving my home that uh, I've always, you know, planned to retire in because I didn't properly prepare for my for my future health and that of my wife. Who do you think got the business? In fact, I uh, ended up hooking up with his architect and painting out the rest of the dream uh, just because he cared enough to ask the right questions, to understand what I needed, uh, to think about my life of the future and the pains as well as the pleasures that I could take care of. That guy didn't have the title of a salesperson. He wasn't even an owner. I think he was a foreman, but John was an awesome salesperson. That's what it's all about, right? Because he knew the right questions to ask and he, and he asked them. That's exactly right. You know, and uh, Zig Ziglar, I think I referred to him in every conversation over breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but Zig Ziglar is one of my heroes in sales. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that would be completely uh, dead on in this situation. Powerful, right? So how do you know which questions to ask? Well, you know what? It's... uh, (laughs) We get paid for observing and, and understanding and studying and coming into a situation ready and prepared. I've been in sales my entire career, but I still have a cheat sheet of things to go to if I've gotten off course and I haven't thought about what I need to ask. In some complex sales, it gets really deep. So, I mean, long story short, it's uh, the most prepared person, you know, wins. They, they're able to dig into, I mean, there's two reasons why people make decisions specifically around sales to, so to speak. And, and, and one of them is to avoid pain, which is huge in business. The others, it, uh, the other is to gain pleasure. So that gaining pleasure was bouncing a grandchild on my knee in my living room, my extended living room and, and avoiding pain was not having to go to the assisted living facility when I didn't want to. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you got to come prepared bottom line. There's bonus points for being prepared. I'm guessing that you should do research to maybe generally have an idea what the person's pain is, but maybe ask specific questions when you're talking to the prospect. Uh, Absolutely. And you know what? It's, it's all a question of the stakes. I mean, if you're walking into, in the case of a renovation, it might be $200,000 and that may be big for a company. If you're calling on somebody for, you know, pest control and it's a $200 sale, I don't know how much of your time you're going to spend studying and understanding and getting the plans to the house before you go there. Obviously, there's there's a limit to what you want to do. But uh, like I said, there's a bonus on being prepared and writing out the questions you want and, and to understand. I mean, in, in basic, if you're, if you're walking into a sales situation, you're trying to find what their issues are. You're not there to sell software. You're there to help them become more efficient, help them collect bills faster, help them uh, calculate and do analytics around their sales projections, uh, all to give them business results. So there's layers of questions beyond the question. You know, the the uh, if you were able to calculate that faster and if you were able to identify a trend quicker uh, and more permanently, what would that mean to your business? Would that would mean another $20,000 a month collected. It would mean over a period of years, 
deepened uh, relationships with my clients because I'm able to manage it better. It would mean uh, the potential to spin off uh, and build on client relationships and sell them more. All those things are things you have to visit, just like John did in the, in the building a 20 by 14 by 18 room. It became a real opportunity for, for me to fulfill my dreams and to avoid going into a damn nursing home. Is the same true of the prospects? pleasure you should have a general idea of of what that kind of person is kind of going through that business is kind of going through and then specifically figure out what's gonna bring some joy into his life through your product or service right well that's a that's a little bit more complicated as i was saying pain is more center of it all in business uh pleasure is more for individual if you're a yacht salesman you're not you're not uh, dealing with a, a lot of pain in that conversation. You're dealing with a lot of parties, a lot of you know world cruises, a lot of uh, fun and uh, and pleasure. But on a business in a business sense, um, there are pleasures for an individual. Any CEO spending money on pleasure is probably going to get uh, you know rooted out and maybe thrown in jail. That's not what he's there for. But on his level, he may want to capture, you know, there's a highly dominant profile. I'm referring to a disc profile and assessment that's got a lot to do with the people, people's personality and sales, which, which I digress on. But uh, if he's a highly dominant individual or she is a highly dominant in- individual and she's very results oriented, you need to talk to her about results oriented language and talk to her about, you know, how, Lennox company was able to hit 25% quarter over quarter growth due to the fact that they were able to collect those bills. They were able, able to plant those seeds to uh, develop more sales. And so what that means to you is obviously no CEO in your, in the past of the company has been able to hit those, those goals. And, you know, you're going to get a lot out of that. Obviously, as a CEO, you get a lot of pleasure from being heralded for doing what you're doing as a small example. So I guess if you're selling yachts, you could explore the pain of the person trading in a smaller yacht for a bigger yacht so you can have bigger parties on your yacht. Um, well, if you thought having if you thought not having bigger parties was a pain and you had the luxury to think of that. Yes, Rodney. But that's not the route I'd take. <laughs> So I guess as far as uh, the motivating factor that might make a sale more or less likely, I guess it depends on the situation, what you're selling, what the person wants as far as their, as far as their pains or their pleasures. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, listen, you got LinkedIn uh, and if you walk into a uh, customer's office nowadays, virtually or physically or by phone or whatever, and you don't know a lot about them, then that's criminal. You need to do your homework. You know, I need to know what you've done in the last five jobs or careers or whatever. I need to know where you went to school. I need to know the kind of comments you're making uh, and posting and sharing and, and liking. I can find out so much about you. You'd be uncomfortable that you've posted everything. And, and it's, uh, if you're going to put it out there, you're going to put it out there and shame on me for not taking advantage of that and getting to know somebody. I mean, the, you know, John, when he walked through to, to, to look at my house, he started off by talking about things that were, you know, basically saying to me, 
wow, this is a beautiful home and a you know, great place to live. And he was celebrating it with me. Of course, I love my home. I wouldn't have bought it. And he was celebrating it with me, telling him what he appreciated about the house, which is in part what I appreciated about the house. If he hadn't done his homework, if he didn't know what 212XXX uh, Street uh, was, if he didn't know what, anything about it, then he'd come in with a deficit. He'd come in as a guy making a measurement, not a guy fulfilling a dream. He talked to three contractors. Did, did they all submit numbers back to you? Rodney, I'm a sales guy. I called back the first two guys and said, don't even sharpen your pencil. I'm serious. Because I was be- done. Stick a fork at me. I was done. Because, I mean, look at it from my end. I mean, mm-hmm. I do this for a living. I stepped back and I said, wow, this is awesome. Let them roll. I knew where it was going. And I, and, and I, also, I, I got there first. I didn't catch the, the nursing home angle. I didn't think of that one. So he wasn't manipulating, though. He was not manipulating. He was interested. I mean, we walked around the house. He saw different aspects and asked questions. It, it was all very friendly. Nothing was deeply you know, offensive. I'm not telling you that information, but that's what it's about. He came prepared. You know, the, the reason I asked is because I was just wondering if you would be willing to pay a premium for John's approach. I mean, if you got three bids that were ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 less than John, would you still go with John? That's a crazy question. Absolutely. You know why, Rodney? What if I had, let's say it's four years from now, five years from now, I have a grandson or granddaughter and I have my 20 by 18 by 14 room. Where are we sleeping? And where's the baby sleeping? Where's, uh, you know, where do we put him up for play and how do we have a life around him? So he's welcome, but we got room to move. I'm in my 20 by 18 by 14 hell. It's not usable. It's not, it's not workable. That shows me that he's been there before. That shows me that he's done this time after time. And that if I want something that we talked about, he's the man to execute on the job, right? If you, uh, if you, let's say, went to a ball game and there was a doctor sitting behind you and he said, tapped you on the shoulder and said, I'm sorry, I don't know you, but you have a, a blemish on the back of your neck that I'm really concerned about. I'm an oncologist and I look at people like this. Would you come see me on Monday? I'd like to check it out. He checks it out. You have cancer. You've got some tough stuff to to kind of trudge through. Who are you going to trust with your cancer treatment? A guy that was thoughtful enough to interrupt you, maybe in an uncomfortable way, that knows enough about his business that you got a precancerous situation going on. Are you going to go shop that doctor to find somebody cheaper? The point I was trying to make is if you take that approach, not only might you be more likely to make the sale, but the person might be more willing to pay more. Absolutely. And you know what? What he painted out was a pretty a pretty intricate, pretty uh, elaborate, I should say, build out. And I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I'm definitely going to do it with him. I, I think if he comes across problems through it, I trust him. He's been there before. Uh, he connected with me. He He's got an investment, so to speak, in the whole process. And and yeah, absolutely. And and the people that do have something that is worthy and valuable, they deserve to get more for it. It probably costs a lot more to uh to create. So yeah, I mean there's I, I don't know how everybody else in the audience feels about that, but I would not shop somebody that showed their expertise and showed their care and foresight and promise and trust. I mean, that's what I, that's what he built in me. 
he built trust. He knew my neighborhood. He knew the architecture. He knew he'd worked on the homes. He'd lived in the area. He's my guy. No question. I know he's going to clobber me at the price, but that's okay. I want my grandson bouncing on my knee. (laughs) How big is the problem? (laughs) Let's say you're a sales manager. How big a problem is if, if your staff isn't taking this global approach to communicating and, you know, working with potential customers? Uh, you're not going to have a job soon. It's that simple. Business is too competitive. I mean, if you're talking about bigger deals, I don't want to paint too ugly a picture, but if you're talking about bigger deals out there and, uh, everybody's got a different scale and you have to think on a business level, if you're, if you're talking about huge numbers, but I mean, uh, People are making software decisions, management consulting decisions uh, that start at $250,000 and go to three, four million dollars. You can't do what we do without actually practicing what you do. And we've we've got game time that's maybe 5% of uh, what we do. Game time being in front of customers. And if you're not prepared for that, shame on you. Others will just absolutely beat you to that. Like I said, it takes an investment of time. I have to know everybody in the room as best I can before I walk in there. And I have to test the paradigm of what I think is going on there and get as much information about it from the public, you know, from Google uh, before I walk in, because that allows me to guide those questions. Those, If I neglected to say it, questions are magic. Questions are what deliver visions of solving problems. They paint out exactly the pain of what you're doing right now and how you can uh, incorporate a solution and what it looks like afterwards. The thing about John's questioning to me was I gave him answers. When I told him that's going to be really tough to have my grandchildren here, when I told him that, I own that statement. But if he tells me that, Rodney, he's just another salesperson. I have to get, or John had to get me to buy into it. And I did. Preparing a, a salesperson for a sales call or, or, or building a relationship is multi-layered. It's about learning who the people are. It's about learning who the company is. It's about learning why they took your call to begin with. I mean, is it a small problem? Is it a, just a price requests? What is it? And I hate to say it, it's practice. Doctors practice, lawyers practice, salespeople, if they're professionals, they need to practice. It's one of the things that I like to do when I write copy is pose questions. And and it's almost, you shouldn't be, like you said, manipulating people, but you're almost kind of hurting them into a, into a particular direction. So the answers that they come up with pave the way, you know, on the path that, that you want them to take. Exactly. Exactly. And, and uh, our man Zig Ziglar, um, there's a different be- difference between motivation and manipulation. And nobody as a salesperson, we haven't talked about this, but the profile of a salesperson in most people's minds ain't real top notch. They're, they're not beloved as a vocation. But he said, um, manipulation is getting people to do what you want them to do. And motivation is getting them to want to do what you want them to do. And again, back to the example, John didn't have to tell me the way I should feel about it. I felt it. He, he provoked that. So it is, I, I don't like uh, the idea of hurting. That sounds like it's a little bit manipulative too, but to help them get to their nirvana, whether it's business or personal, 
I didn't even know I had those issues in my home. So that's what a good salesperson will do. Well, I guess, I guess we could say you're trying to shape the conversation. There you go. That's <laughs> it. I mean, I've, I, that, that's fair. That's absolutely right. Because those people need help, right? I mean, they, they don't know exactly what they, you're the expert, right? So someone does all the right things and is ready to ask all the right questions and, and has prepared like they should. And the prospect only cares about the bottom line. He just is driven by price. Being the right kind of salesperson, but you encounter someone who's just looking at numbers, how do you adjust? Uh, that's a multi-part answer. First off, if somebody's in a decision-making position and only considers, we'll talk business, not personal here. Personal people, they can waste their money on whatever they want. Uh, they can buy the cheapest of the cheap and that's fine. But if you're you're talking to a customer who's, let's say, a CEO of a company, and all he's focused on is the bottom line, a couple of things went wrong up front. You didn't find out what the real problems are, or you didn't uncover and create problems in his mind, or there's just not enough care about what he's implementing to invest in it, to invest money, to invest his people's time, whatever it is. I put it this way. I say it to my my peeps all the time. There's two reasons why people don't buy. Number one, they're not aware of their problem. Or number two, they're not sufficiently disturbed about their problem. If you want a, a real fix and turning that real fix into a business result, uh, that may come with an ROI illustration. Uh, but in the end, if all they want is price, that's not your customer. You fire that customer because you're not going to be able to deliver on it. If the, if the best thing you can get is a, uh, a great price, that's going to be his, the most pleasure he gets out of the whole situation because you're going to have to underfit him and underserve him and, and under uh, provide for him. So we fire those customers, Rodney, before they even become our customers. How's that? <laughs> That sounds great. You know, I, I think anybody who's, you know, is involved in a service or, or sells a project has probably been burned by people who are just, you know, number crunchers. And and, yeah. and personally, people who, you know, when, when they hire a freelance writer like I, the people that I've dealt with who've, who've paid the least are, are the most exacting and the most demanding. And it, it's just... And it, it quickly becomes apparent that it, it's it's just simply not worth the effort. Yeah, no, it actually could be damaging because you're spending all your time on these people to try and make them happy. And like I said, the, the most pleasure they'll ever get out of, of dealing with you is a low price. Everything else is going to be hell because it's not as good and they'll never become a great reference for you. They'll never become somebody that uh, is a repeat customer. He'll go to the next low price the next time he needs something. Part of selling is, and you'll hear people talk about it in business, you have your pipeline, your your prospective customers. And over the period of a sales cycle, cycle, they'll go from warm to warmer to hot to closed, or they'll fall out of it. And when they fall out of the sales cycle, the pipeline, that's being, uh, that's called qualified out. They're either don't have the budget, they don't have the motivation. They don't have significant uh, reasons for change. Uh, and I'm just going to stop investing them in them as a customer. Uh, it's, a, it's a numbers game that you need to play and, and play carefully and not spend your time. I mean, 
that's what salespeople have. They have their time and their expertise. That's the way it is. All right, Andy, once again, thanks for your time. This has been great. It's been really helpful. People want to reach out to you and talk more to you about sales and maybe how to do it better. How do they reach you? They can catch me at andy.rich at sandler.com or my website is andyrich.sandler.com. If you want to call me on the phone, it's 917-886-9405. Just tell them you, uh, that Rodney, Rodney sent you, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. We got, we got one more session to go. We're going to hit it out of the park next time. So, so folks out there, thank you once again for listening to this podcast. And maybe you can check out some of our prior podcasts. That would be great. Subscribing would also be awesome. Uh, until next time, everybody, when we talk to Andy again, thank you very much again, uh, Andy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Listening. And until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Newtown Business Association's Business School Podcast. You can learn more about the NBA and join the association at newtownba.org. That's www.newtownba.org.